talk today for a few minutes about the resurrection of hope and really about what the resurrection of, of Jesus does for us. Uh, you know, when I came in uh, in my truck, I was riding down the road, I was thinking two years ago when COVID hit, we did not have an Easter, so we couldn't have an Easter service with anybody here. I was preaching to, I was preaching to pictures of people that we pasted on the seats. So how about give yourself a hand for being here today? That means a, that's a big deal. If you've ever uh, done any public speaking, speaking to something empty is really different. And you got to imagine who you're talking to. So I'm really, 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 really glad to see you today. And uh, we had a, of course, in-person Easter service last year. But this year, you know, life is coming back to some sense of normal, perhaps. But we're glad you're with us today. Uh, today, again, I want to breathe uh, hope back into your life. You know, we're living in a world that is changing very rapidly. And uh, many people don't know and don't realize that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth again. How many know that? Jesus came the first time as a baby, and uh, he had to grow up. But this time, he's coming as a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's coming to put his enemies in their place and to rid the earth of all the rebellion contaminants and make this place the way it was before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden to begin with. Is that good news or what? And so the good news is we can live without, uh, without fear of the future. Even though it seems really dark and strange right now, we can have hope and our eternity can be bright. I've got my eyes set on heaven. I don't know about you. If, you, uh, if you, all you think about is what the earth is like and what's going on right now, you can really get down in the dumps. But if you think about the glorious future that God has planned for his people, you can't help but get excited. So I was just thinking in my office before I came out here, you know, I was raised in a church environment. My dad was a, my dad was a deacon in a Baptist church. My mother was a Sunday school teacher. And so that means that I was, I can remember wearing diapers to church, no kidding. And my mom having to go and change my diaper, I can remember crying in my mother's Sunday school class. And uh, she had to console me as she was trying to teach with her, uh, her two-year-old there. It's crazy. But, uh, you know, uh, I said that to say that I've been raised in church. Listen, you can be raised in a church environment, and I'm going to preach the gospel today, if that's okay with you. You can be raised in a church environment, hear the gospel priest, and it not get inside you. It took 18 years for me to really realize all the things that I'd heard. I got stars on my head for memorizing scripture. I mean, I, I was in Sunday school every Sunday. I was in, they called it sunbeams on Wednesday night and uh, Royal Rangers or whatever on Sunday night. I was raised in church. I heard my pastor preach over and over and over again, but it never got inside of me. July 20th, um, uh, 1975, I was 16 years of age. That dates me, I know. Um, I, had a, I had my first girlfriend in the world, not to be compared with my wife I've known, will be married 43 years in September. But I had a little girl by my side in church and the pastor was preaching to me and he was, he was poking his bony finger in the air saying, you may never have another chance to get right with God. You may go to hell today. And I was holding on to the pew. We had pews in the Baptist church in front of me thinking I ain't about ready to go up there because my girlfriend would think I was crazy. Well, you know, five minutes past the service, I was in my automobile, had an accident, totaled my car. My girlfriend had a, had a huge abrasion on her head. I actually thought she was dead. Some of you have heard this story a number of times, but it bears repeating. When I came to after the accident, I'd hit my shoulder on the roof of the car, and uh, we had catapulted across a ditch. The car that hit me was on its side, 
and six guys were trying to get out. It was on its side, and they were trying to get out one of the windows. And um, for just a brief moment, just a brief moment, I realized that that eternity was at stake for me. I looked over, and my girlfriend was in the seat, and uh, her head was on the seat, and blood was coming out of her. I thought she was dead because she, she wasn't moving, and it scared me. And, and just, I don't know how this happens. I don't understand you know, if you're a psychologist or whatever and understanding the workings of the human mind, I just can just tell you my whole life momentarily glimpsed before me, just like, just like on a video. And I saw all the things I was, all the things I had done. And, and then in that moment of time, I saw how undone and unready I was for life. And I've, I've done many funerals since I've been in ministry since 1981. And I've often, I've often used this phrase, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. And that day when I was 16 years old, July 20th, 1975, I come face to face with the fact that I wasn't ready to die. And I was thinking as I was crawling out of the car and I ran to go get help and the ambulance came and they took us to the hospital and they sewed up my, my girlfriend's head and, uh, and uh, all the aftermath of that. I said, oh God, oh God, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not ready to die. I haven't even lived yet. I'm not ready to die. And I saw how fragile life was. And then just a, you know, about a year and a half later or so, I made Jesus Lord of my life. I was saved from my sin. Then I really began to understand what life was all about and, and what the resurrection of Jesus did for us. I've been close to death six times in my life. Some of you perhaps even more, but I can tell you if you ever have a brush with death, it'll show you who you really are. We have, a, we have a way of living a facadish life. We are on the outside and a, a certain thing, but people don't know what we are on the inside. But God Almighty knows. How many hear me? And that's what the resurrection of Jesus comes to do. He comes to give us hope that life can be different, that life can change, that we can be prepared both now and we can be prepared for our eternity. So really, Jesus' resurrection, how many know it gives us hope? Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when a desire is granted, it's the tree of life. So I want to give you some hope today. Is that okay? We live in a hopeless time, and a lot of people have got their eyes on everything that's happening, and, and the world that seems to be downwardly spiraling over uh, more and more as the weeks go by. But today, let me give you some hope. I want to give you some hope in what Jesus' resurrection can do for us. The first thing that the resurrection of Jesus ensures, it ensures that we don't have to deal with our problems alone. Is that good news? Now, I spent my teenage years feeling lonely, feeling by myself, overwhelmed with my problems that I personally created myself, didn't know how to deal with them. And a lot of people feel that way in life. A lot of people feel like they're alone and lonely and they don't know what to do about the problems they face. They don't want other people to know how vulnerable they really are and so they have nobody to reach out to and talk to. I want you to know Jesus can become a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He can be the friend that you've never had. And he has experienced life's hard places just like we have. And he understands how to help us through them. The scripture says this in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Is that good news or what? Then it says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God that we re will receive mercy 
and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Jesus understands what you and I go through. Jesus was God, but he's also a man. He's the God-man. And I think it's amazing how God brought salvation to the human race. He decided that, uh, that the second member of the Trinity would come and live in a human body. That's Jesus the Christ. And that he would be raised like we are raised, in a, in a, in a normal family, in a community. And he would watch his dad work, and he would work with his dad, and then he would grow up and, and be raised. And he, Jesus did not start his ministry until 30 years of age. And then at 30 years of age, he ministered for three and a half years. But in those 33 and a half years of Jesus' short earthly life, he endured every challenge, every obstacle that we faced, and he did it without doing wrong, and that is amazing. Would you agree? So when you come to him and bring your problems to him, he knows what it's like. How many know to be misunderstood? He knows what it's like for friends to forsake you in the darkest time of your life. That's what happened to him. He knows what it's like to be blamed for something that you didn't do. He knows what it's like to feel um, what it's like to, to be mentally, uh, physically, emotionally assaulted by others. He knows what it's like to be all alone and away from God. He knows what it's like to die. Jesus experienced death, and if Jesus doesn't come back first, we too will experience death. And the, But Jesus understood, and he dealt with the sting that death brings so that we don't have to experience the sting that death brings. Jesus knows what it's like to spend time in hell. He went there, so you and I don't have to. Isn't that good news? Second thing, the resurrection of Jesus means that our personal sins and mistakes have been paid for and we no longer have to be guilty before God because of our past. We no longer have to be afraid of death. Psychologists say that the number one demotivator of human personality is guilt, condemnation, inferiority. Jesus the Christ took your guilt, took your condemnation and took potentially all of the inferiority that you will ever face in life. And he did it so that we can stand before God boldly. Is that good news? Jesus came in a human body. He took our sin penalty. He took our spiritual death. He took our incarceration in hell so we could be free from the fear of dying. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2. This is a 14 to 15, the Passion Translation. Since all his children have flesh and blood. So Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser holds against us the power of death. By embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. Again, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. And Jesus took the sting out of death for us. Here is uh, the way it happened in Jesus' life. And this is from Matthew 27. You can read it on the screen with me. And again, this is the Passion Translation. They brought Jesus to Golgotha, which means Skull Hill. And there the soldiers offered him a mild painkiller, a drink of wine mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Then they crucified Jesus, nailing his hands and feet to the cross. That was a very barbaric and cruel form of capital punishment in the first century was to be hung naked on a cross and your hands and feet actually actually pinned to a piece of wood with a, with a large nail. Excruciating pain, 
people that died the way that Jesus died, died of a fixation because they're hanging on a cross, their feet are together, their hands are extended, and the only way they can breathe is push on the nails in their feet to try to get some air in their lungs, and they finally get so tired that they can't push on the heart. It's hard to think about it, isn't it? That's the way Jesus died. He died really of a broken heart because when they when they stuck his side with, with a spear, uh, water and blood gushed out. It said they, they, and they say he died of a broken heart. Uh, he died of a, his heart was just broken and, and the blood, the sack, the water in the sack that uh, surrounds the heart ran out down Jesus' side. He died for me and he died for you. Is that good news? Uh, they crucified Jesus, nailing his hands and feet to the cross. The soldiers divided his clothing among themselves by rolling dice to see who would win them. Verse 30, 36, the soldiers stood there to watch what uh, would happen and to keep guard over him. Above his head, they placed a sign that read, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of Israel. Two criminals were also crucified with Jesus, one on one side, on either, each side of him. And those who passed by shook their heads spitefully and ridiculed him, saying, we heard you boast that you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why don't you save yourself now? If you're really God's son, come down from the cross. Even the ruling priests with the Jewish scholars and religious leaders joined in the mockery. Verse 42 kept on saying, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Israel's king, is he? He should put, uh, pull out the nails and come down from the cross right now. Then we'll believe in him. Uh, he says he puts all his trust in God. Let's see if that's true and see if God really wants to rescue his favorite son. Even the two criminals who were crucified with Jesus begin to taunt him, hurling their insults on him. For three hours, beginning at noon, darkness came over the earth. And at three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a mighty voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Some who were standing near the cross misunderstood and said, he's calling for Elijah. One bystander ran and got a sponge, soaked it in sour wine, then put it on a stick and held it up for Jesus to drink. But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to rescue him. Jesus passionately cried out, took his last breath and gave up his spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two uh, from top to bottom. That, that they say that that piece of cloth, it was a big curtain. The Holy of Holies was the place in the temple that up till that time held the presence of God. When Jesus died, the presence of God came out of that temple. That big thick curtain was torn from top to bottom, signifying that God took that curtain and tore it apart so that no longer would God dwell in buildings. We call this Victory Church. No, you're Victory Church. Your body has become the temple of God if you know Jesus as Lord. God hasn't dwelt in a building since Jesus died. And this is just what happened right here. At that moment, the veil of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook violently, rocks split apart, and graves were opened. Then many of the holy ones, the Old Testament believers who had died, were brought back to life and came out of their graves. And after Jesus' resurrection, they were plainly seen by many people walking in Jerusalem. Y'all, Jesus literally paid the sin debt we owe God. We are sinners by nature and we cannot go to the pure place called heaven with sinful hearts that we have. Jesus cried out 
when our sin was placed on him. Let me say there is no hope for the United States of America today or any other nation today without the gospel being preached and without hearts being transformed. There is not a politician alive that will is able to rescue us out of the problems that we have created for ourselves as American citizens. It's our fault. It's our problems. We've left God and we've done our own thing. We've turned and done our own thing and God has laid on Jesus, the Bible says, the sin of us all. When Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Literally, God made Jesus to be our sin, our sin sacrifice. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the New Living Translation, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. At that moment when Jesus cried out, the Bible says that Jesus became every sin that you and I have ever committed. He became responsible. Listen to what I'm saying. Jesus became responsible for your sin. Jesus took the penalty that you owe because of what you have done and what I have done. Jesus became responsible for every wrong that you and I have allowed to linger, every wrong thought that we've allowed to linger in our minds. He's become, he became responsible for every wrong word that we have spoken and uttered, every blasphemous word. He became responsible before God for every sinful, wrong thing that you and I have ever done. He became every lie that's ever been told, every curse word that's ever been uttered, every lustful thought that has tantalized a person, every act of adultery and illicit sex, every deceitful action that has harmed others, every act of selfishness that has marred a marriage. How many hear me? A home, a relationship, a business. Jesus became the scheme of the outlaw, the embodiment of the narcissist that takes advantage of others just to get his way. Jesus became the pimp. He became the prostitute. He became the whoremonger, the adult film star. He became the pornographer, the porn addict, the lying politician, the unjust judge, the unjust juror, the child abuser, the rapist, the pedophile, and every diabolical scheme that enslaves and kills millions of people. He became the proud, self-sufficient person that wants help from no one. He became the hypocrite, the liar, the mocker, the crook, the thief, the rebel, the mischief maker. Every religious person that hides behind a mask of hypocrisy and every person who loves and lives a lie. That's what Jesus became. You think that was an innocuous thing? You think that that didn't cost Jesus something? You wonder why he cried out, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? He come, he became everything that's against his father. And because of that, the sky grew dark. There was a great earthquake. God had to turn his back on his own, own son. Why? Why? Because of me. Because of what I've done. Because of what I've said. Because of what I've allowed into my life and what you've done and what you've said and what you've allowed into your life, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for that. You know, when a person stands before a judge and is found guilty of a crime by a jury of their peers, they're found guilty. Guilty. 
Whatever it is, it may be the penalties, may be community service, it may be a hefty fine, it may be the loss of some privilege, or it may be a prison sentence, or for a far more serious crime, it may be the penalty of death. Well, listen to this, the penalty for sin against God and all of us, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Jeremiah said it best in, Jer- in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The psalmist said in Psalm 51, 5, David was caught in adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And he said, behold, I was born in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, blasphemies, thefts, uh, lies, etc., etc., etc. The penalty for sin against God, and all of us have sinned, all of us have committed sin against God, is spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. This penalty is also physical death. Physical death is separation of the spirit and soul, the internal person from the physical body. The Bible says we live beyond the grave. And that's crazy to me to think that the culture worldwide today, we only think about the here and now and everything that's built at us on the internet and all the information we receive is to make yourself happy now. Live it up right now. Do the best that you can do right now. But everything in the Bible tells us prepare for the future prepare for eternity, prepare to meet your God. So the penalty for sin is, phys- is spiritual death, physical death. And then there's, there's a, a term in the Bible in, in Revelation 20, verse 15, it's called, it's called the second death. The second death is a pitiful state. The second death, the scripture says very clearly that for eternity, people are thrown into a place called the lake of fire. Some translations say the lake of burning sulfur. I don't want to know anything about a fire. I don't want to know anything about the flame. And then Jesus said something about the worms never dying and the fire not quenching. I don't know about you, but I do not want to experience the second death. Some people believe that after you die, that your relatives, in fact, there are religions that believe this, that you can pay a fee, uh, you can do penance for someone, and you can pray for them. And God can, and they, and they go to a place called purgatory. There is no purgatory, my friends. There is a place called hell. And the Bible says that hell is eternal. The scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. If I don't make Jesus Lord in this life, there is no chance in the next life. If I don't make Jesus Christ the Savior for my sin, if he does not become the antidote for my personal transgressions, then I die in my sin. And then I have to pay the penalty for my sin myself. Again, the penalty for sin, spiritual death, physical death, second death, it's eternal separation from God in hell. Jesus took our sin and was personally separated from God and then he went to hell for us. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, Jesus said, for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus suffered, and he told us right there where hell is. That's where the molten lava that comes from the volcano, where do you think it comes? From the heart of the earth. What causes the magnetism on the planet? It's all of that 
all of that molten rock and the fire in the center of this planet. Jesus went there and he stayed there. Hell at that time was divided into two compartments. There was, and I mentioned this Friday night, the righteous side of hell. There was the unrighteous side of hell. Nobody could go to heaven before Jesus died. Even the Old Testament saints, as they put the, the sacrificial lamb upon an altar and then took its blood and put it on the covering of the Ark of the Covenant, which contained God's covenant with the human race through Abraham. When they placed that blood of the covenant there, it was for one year. And the Old Testament saints did that. But when the Old Testament saints died, I'm talking about Abraham. I'm talking about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. I'm talking about Moses, Daniel. I'm talking about Abraham. I'm talking about all these men of God that you've heard about in yesteryear. They could not go to heaven because their sin debt was not yet paid. The, the Jesus, the Lamb of Sacrifice, had not yet come to cleanse their sin. They went to a place, the Bible says, Jesus called it paradise. The thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's not heaven. Jesus didn't go to heaven until he ascended to be with the Father. What happened when Jesus died? Well, that thief on the cross, he had faith in Jesus. He didn't live the righteous life. He lived a sinful life. But God had mercy on him as a sinner. It's not what you do. It's who you put your faith in. But once you put your faith on him, in him, what you do changes. That thief had been able to get down off the cross. His life would have been transformed. But he found himself in a place called paradise. Luke 16, Jesus told a story about a rich man and a, and a poverty-stricken man called Lazarus. And, uh, and the, the uh, man Lazarus found himself in a place called Abraham's lap, Abraham's bosom. The old King James translation says that's the righteous side of hell that Old Testament saints went to before Jesus died. When Jesus died, he went there and he preached the gospel to them. I mentioned this Friday night. I'm not sure whether or not God required Jesus to go to the unrighteous side of hell where there is the flame, where, where there is the burning. I don't know. It's unclear to me. I, I, the jury's out. It could have been. Go read Psalm 88, Psalm 22. I don't have time to reference them this morning. It talks about deity suffering for humanity in utter agony. He could have been there. I do know this. Jesus went to that righteous side of hell. He stayed there until God was satisfied that my sin debt and your sin debt, every word, every thought, every action, Every motive, everything that you've done that is against God has been judicially paid for by his precious life and his precious blood. He stayed there for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth until God was satisfied that our sin debt was paid. And then when God was satisfied, Jesus came up from the dead. He said, I am he that lives. I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of hell. I have the keys of death. Jesus, when Jesus was raised from the dead, listen, all of those Old Testament saints came up out of hell and they got back into glorified bodies that just like the body that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. How do I know that? We just read the scripture in Matthew 27, 51. Many of the Old Testament saints come out of their graves and they appeared to many in Jerusalem. They were amazed and astounded as perhaps Abraham said, can I have dinner with you tonight? Or Moses said, can I have a cup of tea or whatever? 
They were walking around Jerusalem when Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Jesus robbed the righteous side of hell of all of those Old Testament saints that were trusting in the Lamb of God, the Messiah that was to come. Is that good news or what? And my friend, the good news now is, the good news now is you don't have to go to hell. There's only one compartment in hell tonight, today. And that is the compartment with the flame. That is the compartment with the worm. And the Bible says, if we go there, we go there because we chose to reject the sin sacrifice that Jesus Christ was made to be on our behalf. Jesus judicially paid the penalty for my sin and your sin. And friends, that ought to be the best news you've ever heard in your entire life. Third thing that Jesus did with his resurrection, it means that our enemy Satan has been defeated so that we can go through life knowing we have victory in every hard place. How many know the Bible reveals, and, and you hear this a lot now, Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The Bible says we're not wrestling against uh, just uh, against humans, although they can be problematic, but behind the human personality is sometimes malevolent, demonic, unseen forces that seek to, seek to wreak havoc on human life and create fears that cannot be dispelled. Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection defeated Satan and every demon force so that you don't have to be afraid of them anymore. You know, in my early years, I just like you, I went to see the horror movies where the devil's shown as this great big guy that causes the priest to get flung against the wall and yada, 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 and makes everybody afraid and scared. You don't have to be afraid of Satan and his schemes. In fact, every day of my life now, I take authority over the devil, over demonic forces. They can't be seen, but they do seek to invade human life and make it a mess. Make it a hell on earth. How many hear me? Jesus has given us authority over them. Colossians 1.13, he rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. Is that good news or what? And so you don't have to be afraid. I spent the first portion of my life afraid to die. I was afraid I was going to get sick from some dreaded disease. You've heard me say this. When I was 13 years old or so, I went to a Methodist church on Halloween night and a palm reader was in the church and read my palm and told me I was going to die young. It put a spirit of fear on me I cannot describe. And I felt like all of my life as a teenager that I would never live my life out, that I would die young. I'd never know what it's like to fall in love, to get married, to have children, to have grandchildren. But thank God I'm 63 years old today. I've been married for 42 and a half years to this beautiful woman. I've got four children eight great-grandchildren God Almighty dispels fear and I don't know what your fear may be you may be afraid of other people you may be afraid of your own shadow you may be afraid of sickness you may be afraid of death you may be afraid that an accident will somehow mar and take your life I don't know about you I cannot live with fear and we have a fear-gripped world today. Jesus came to set you free from the spirit of fear. That's good news. Number four, Jesus Christ's resurrection took the sting out of death so that even the finality of death brings a promise of life beyond the grave. The one thing that we cannot escape is death. 
The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy that will be placed under our feet is death. We all will experience physical death. All of my heroes of the faith, the men and uh, women of God that, of yesteryear that, you know, I said, man, I want to be like that. I want to do it like them. They've all experienced death. One of my mentors was Kenneth Hagin. I went to his Bible school. He died in 2003, and I went to his funeral. And I watched his body as it lay lay in state in, on, on his campus there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with his Bible in his hand. And I thought to myself in 2003, even my mentor couldn't escape death. No, the last enemy that is to be destroyed the Bible says, is death. The good news is Jesus took the sting out of it for you and he took the sting out of it for me. So if you've got relatives, you've got friends, you've got children, you've got parents, you've got aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, co-workers that have died, if they knew Jesus, they're in a great place. Listen to the account of Jesus. Because, why? Because Jesus, raised, he conquered death. He was raised from the dead. John 20, 17 verses, very early Sunday morning. It's a Passion Translation, before sunrise. Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. When she arrived, she discovered the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John. He's crazy to talk that way, but he did. She told them they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb, and, and, and we don't know where it is, where he is. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in. Now watch. And saw only the linen cloths lying there. Then Peter came behind him, went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloths lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths let me tell you what they saw, uh, Jewish tradition of the Jew when a person died. Of course, they didn't, have, they didn't have embalming processes like we have today. And they had to bury a person fairly rapidly because their body would begin to deteriorate and smell. So they put aromatic resins on the body. What they would do is they would wrap every digit, every finger, every hand, every arm, toes, legs, etc., torso. They would wrap everything in small strips of cloth that had an aromatic resin on it. And they would wrap it all up. And they would wrap everything up. So, so what you actually saw in, uh, uh, when someone died was a, a, a mummy. An encased mummy. And everything's encased in cloth. And, it, and that resin hardens. The only, only thing that was left uh, clear was the face. The aperture of the face were left out, and they, they put a cloth on the face. And then later they would come and, and finish the process because of some of the beliefs that the Jews had. So when the disciples, when, when Peter, the other disciples came and ran in and looked into the tomb, you know what they saw? They saw, they saw that encasement was empty. And it wasn't cut. If you've, ever gotten a, if you've ever gotten a cast on your arm or some part of your body that's... Uh, You've broken, a, you've broken a bone, you know, they got to cut that thing off. And, you know, you're thinking, don't, don't cut my skin when you're doing that. And they take that thing and start cutting, you know. But, uh, but no, they didn't cut it. When they looked in there, something happened to Jesus' body. It, it, it dematerialized and then came out. And it's laying there just like he was, except for the napkin, the burial napkin. It was evenly put together, folded, and then placed 
as though he did it on purpose. That's how they knew that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Oh, it was an empty tomb, empty of a body, but not empty of the burial cloths. Did you hear me? Jesus' body wasn't stolen. Jesus' body was resurrected. They saw it. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first went in, and after one look he believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Puzzled, Peter and the other disciple left and went back to their homes. Mary arrived back at the tomb broken and sobbing. She stooped uh, in to, to peer inside. And through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying, they asked. Mary answered, they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize that it was him. Uh, he said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was only the gardener. Sir, if you have taken his body somewhere else, tell me and, and I will go and, and Mary, Jesus interrupted, turning uh, to face him. She said, Rabboni. Aramaic for, my, Aramaic for my teacher. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold on to me now for I haven't yet ascended to God my Father. He's, he's not only my Father and God, but now he's your Father and your God. Now go to your brothers and tell them what I've told you, that I'm ascending to my Father, your Father, to my God and your God. When Jesus was raised from the dead, that very day, that Sunday, he was raised from the dead. He came out of that encasement his body was in and when and 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 there was mary and he spoke to mary then right after that sometime between that morning and that evening when the doors and windows were shut you can go read it in the book of john the doors and windows were shut that evening and jesus materialized in their in their presence kind of like that star trek thing he was beamed into the rooms and there he was Somewhere between the time that Jesus resurrected and Jesus appeared to the disciples that night, Jesus went to heaven and appeared before God with his own blood to absolve the sin debt of mankind. And there is ever in heaven, in a heavenly uh, uh, ark of the covenant as it were, there is an emblem and there is the representation of Jesus' blood that ever lives to, and he ever lives to pray for me and pray for you. Jesus went before the Father and said, because of what I've just done, every sin that every man who has ever been born or ever will be born, every sin in thought, every sin in word, every sin in action, every sin in motive has been absolved by me and they can go free. Is that good news? Jesus, my friends, defeated death. He arose from death and came alive again in a physically in a brand new human body. And we're promised that uh, when Jesus comes back, we're going to get a new body just like he had when he was raised from the dead. We have a flesh and blood body. Jesus now has, John says, a flesh and bone body that has new powers of locomotion that we little understand. It's a, there's some new laws of physics that we're going to figure out, I think, when we get to heaven. Are you excited about that? 
But when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ, their spirits from heaven will come and their, and their bodies somehow will resurrect from the grave just like Jesus' body did. And they'll have a, a new body. And then at the rapture of the church, if you or I and he are here and we may be, our bodies will instantaneously change in a moment, as long as quickly as the blinking of an eye, our bodies will change and they'll be transformed into a body like Jesus has. Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. That means my daddy, that means my grandmother, that means my brother who died five years or six years ago. That means people that you know and love, they'll rise up if they know the Lord. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. <laughs> that right there takes the sting out of death. I'm not afraid to die. And I remember all those six times in my life I was very close. A really unpeculiar thing to be close to death because we so want to stay in these physical bodies of ours. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, we're mortal. We're death doomed and we're going to die one day. Thank God that Jesus took the sting out of death. Jesus' resurrection, lastly, brings us the promise that we give our lives to Jesus. Our sins can be forgiven. We can have God's help in life right now. We can go to heaven when we die, and we will return with Jesus with a brand new body one day. Is that good news? But listen, we have a choice. Now listen, now, now this, this is for all of us. This is me and you included. So you've got a choice now. This is the gospel. Friends, you have heard the gospel preached today. The gospel is good news. This is what it takes to go to heaven. So you've got a choice. You can either pay the penalty. We can either pay the penalty for sin ourselves, and you can do that, and live any way you want to live. Right now, do whatever pleases you. You can do that, and God gives us a free will to be able to do that, but... The penalty that we pay if we choose that path is eternal, eternity in hell in the lake of fire when we die. Or we can repent. Now the word repent literally means to change the way I'm thinking because of a change in motivation inside. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. So hence a 180 degree turn. I'm going one way, I turn around and I stop doing what I've been doing because I've changed the, the way I think has changed. The way, and hence, because of that, the way, I, the way I live has changed. We can repent of our sin, give our lives to Jesus Christ, and listen, accept his free payment of our sin penalty. Is that good news? There's only one catch. To receive the free payment for your sin penalty, you got to be willing to give your will away. Jesus said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. 
you got to be willing to deny yourself. That is, deny your own interests, your own desires, what you want to do with your life if it's, if it's in contradiction to what God says. You got to be willing to lay it down if you want eternal life and if you want your sin penalty paid for you by the Lord Jesus. Now that is, is, that is quite the choice. Would you say, I spent 18 years of my life in church. I thought I'd made the choice come right down to it I really hadn't it was a head thing for me not a heart thing and where the rubber meet the road my life had not been transformed until I was 18 years old and I really 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 had an experience with God you may be a person that's been in church a lot in your life like me I was forced to go to church when I was a kid I didn't have a choice if I was going to be in the Horton household that lived in that house, I was going to be in, my butt was going to be in church in the morning, on Sunday mornings. I was going to be there Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then if we had meetings throughout the week, my honey was right there. I had to do my homework if I had to in the church. It's the way it was. I didn't have a choice. It didn't connect with me on the inside. You know what I'm concerned about? There are churches full of people all over America, and there may be people in the room today. You know all the things I'm talking about. You've heard them umpteen times. Question, has it translated into a life change for you? If it hasn't, you're not, I promise, you're not ready to go. When I was, I start where I, I'll finish where I started. When I was 16, that, that, I was 16. Uh, let me go further. I was 14. I was in the bathroom in, in McClendigan High School in Florence, South Carolina. I was 11th grade. I was 14 years old in the 11th grade. And I smoked some pot and I lost my eyesight. And I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And I remember crying out, oh, God. And then I had a vision. I saw my, I don't know how that happens. I saw a, a metal gurney, just a, a steel bed. And my body was on it. And there was a white sheet over the silhouette of me. And they're rolling me down the hallway. And I'm going into the principal's office. The principal of the high school was Jay Carlisle Lever. That's his name. I still remember his name. They had a rotary phone on the wall. They picked up that rotary phone and dialed my number. I still remember my mother's number, 803-662-2813. Dialed it, put it up to his face and said, Miss Horton, you need to come to school. Your son's just OD'd on drugs. And the phone hung up. And I, and I was blind. I couldn't see that drug had affected my eyesight. And I said, oh, God, I can't die today. I don't want to die today. I've never lived. Just give me a chance. I'll quit smoking pot. I'll quit doing drugs. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. See, if you don't know Jesus, you're afraid of death. Y'all, I was absolutely scared out of my skin that day. Oh, 30 minutes later when my eyesight came back, I said, God, thank you. I pled for my life. And God somehow spared me that day. And I had that wreck I told you about when I was 16. I wasn't ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for death? Are you ready to live your life? You can be my making Jesus Lord. Or, or here's another angle. Are you going to pay your own sin penalty? Do what you want to do in life. And say, I did it my way. And sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Yeah, you can do that. Or you can lay your life down, lay your will down. And take up the offer that heaven gives you. That is, you can be born again. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, that is perish in hell, the lake of fire, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now, the, the preface to that is you're laying the wheel down. You're laying your life down. You're willing to change your ways. You're willing to, you're willing to follow Jesus the rest of your life. If you're willing to do that, see, you give up what you, you, give up what you think you've got to have, you'll get what you need from God, and that is forgiveness of sin and eternity in heaven. What's it going to be for you? Where are you going to be 100 years from now? Where am I going to be 100? It'll all be over then. We will be where we will be. Where are you going to be? You know, I'm not going to heaven because I preach. I could preach and go to hell. You know, I think there's some preachers in hell. You can preach this stuff and not live it, you know. Do you hear me? You can come to church and not live it. You can sing and not live it. You can greet, not live it. You can, you can work for the church, be a volunteer, not live it. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing promises, your amazing grace. And Lord, in this room today and watching online today and sometime in the future, there are people that need you. Lord, my prayer today is that every person that hears my voice and that later on sees this video, every person I pray, Lord, may they find their name in a book in heaven called, in Revelation 20, the Lamb's Book of Life. May every person under the sound of my voice be willing to give their life away so they can gain, they can gain eternal life and, and be freed from the penalty of sin, which is hell. May that happen in every life here, I pray. Lord, I pray for the wooing and conviction of the Holy Spirit. And right now, while I'm talking with heads bowed, eyes closed, you may feel quite uncomfortable right now because this is a huge decision. But it's the, it's the most important decision of your life because it determines where you'll be a thousand years from now. Ten thousand. You never stop living. You exist in eternity, even either in hell and then later on the lake of fire or in heaven with God and then in the new heavens and new earth. What's it going to be for you? What decision are you going to make? If you feel uncomfortable, that means the Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus. If you feel convicted because of how you've lived your life, because of the kinds of conversations you've had, the kinds of words that have come out of your mouth, the kinds of things you think about that nobody knows. If you feel convicted, you feel bad about that, feel guilty about that. If you feel guilty about what you've done in the dark that nobody knows and sees, or what you've done away with other people, with your friends, or maybe alone, the things you've done that you know are wrong. See, if you feel guilty, that means... It could really be the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus, making you sense your need for God. Sometimes that's really strong. If you sense that, it's, it's God saying, I love you. Would you please, would you please repent of your sin and give your life to my son Jesus so I can forgive and cleanse you so your sin penalty can be paid. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to pray a prayer 
in just a minute. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Maybe you've, you're here today or you're watching and you've never been born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of heaven. When you ask Jesus to forgive and cleanse your sin, your spirit comes back alive. You're born again. You say, well, I don't know what that is. Then you've probably never experienced it because once you do, you know what it is. Or you may be here and say, Pastor, I, I hear what you're talking about. I've been, I've been to church a bunch in my life. Maybe you're raised like me. I have a religious background, not a, but it didn't translate into spiritual life. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need to know. I just want to make sure that I'm born again and that I've repented of my sin and that I've made things right with God. See, this is a safe place. It doesn't get any easier than this, but you've got to go out and live it once you do it, okay? We can pray right now. God will hear your prayer, and then we'll enable you to walk it out in your daily life as moment by moment you keep your life in Jesus' hands. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I, I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that my sins are forgiven and cleansed. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand in just a minute when I count to three. You say, Pastor, I, I want to be included in the prayer you're about to pray. I want to know that things are right between me and heaven. And I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm, I'm willing this time. I, I want to know. I want to make sure. You may never have another chance to do this. This may be it for you. Do it today. When I count to three, if that's you and you want to pray, and make sure that you're right with God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand now. All over the auditorium. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Raise your hand high. You're, you're saying, that's me. I want to know. i got to be sure. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So you can put your hand down. Anybody else? Well, God is speaking to you. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Listen to Him. He'll help you. Anybody else? I can't see you. Thank you. Put your hand down. Thank you. I can't see you online, but you know what? God sees you. Raise your hand in the room where you are. You might be walking down a trail watching this on your phone. Say, God, that's me. I need this. I want everybody in the room, if you would, please, for those that raised their hands, I want, you to, I want you to pray out loud with me. If you raised your hand, pray with me out loud. Heavenly Father, I believe the Bible. I believe what Pastor Mitch just preached, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and He died for my sin, and He was raised from the dead to make me right with God. He took my sin, my thoughts, my words, my actions, my motives that are wrong, and He paid the penalty for me. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And right now, Heavenly Father, I place my will in Your hands. Jesus, come into my life. Change me, transform me, transform my thoughts, my words, my actions from my heart change me. Beginning today, I'm going to walk with you, and I thank you.